Ezra chapter 7, and verses 9 and 10, and then verse 28. Is, there a, is this reverbing somehow? Ezra 7, verse 9 and 10. <clears throat> For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. And then verse 28 as well. And hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty princes. And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. And I gathered together out of Israel chief men to go up with me. The phrase I want you to catch there is the hand of my God upon me. Very important phrase. In the book of Ezra, uh, Ezra is sent back from Babylon to rebuild Jerusalem. Well, he rebuilds the temple, but uh, it's laid dormant for more than 70 years now, and um, the place is in a wreck and a ruin. A A nation has been plucked out of its place and cast to the far corners of the earth, and now God has decided it's time to bring bring them back. And so he sends Ezra to start the work, and Ezra rebuilds the temple. And then there's another character that comes immediately after him, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah rebuilds the walls in 52 days. And, and here's the thing. I've read books. I have books in my, in my library that talk about the leadership of Ezra and the leadership of Nehemiah. As if it was the leadership of Ezra and the leadership of Nehemiah that caused it to happen. But if we were to talk to Ezra, and we were to talk to Nehemiah, and we were to say, how did you do it? How did you rebuild the temple? How did you rebuild the walls? They would say, the good hand of my God upon me. God's hand was on me. God enabled me to do it. In fact, it's kind of similar to what we were talking about this morning, the idea of uh, walking with the Lord and seeing miracles happen. These men walked with God. And saw miracles happen. The good hand of God was upon them. Do you know there's probably nothing more important in your life or in my life than having the good hand of God upon us? There's probably nothing more important as a church than having the good hand of God. It's not about our our ability or how great we are or how wonderful we are. It's about God. How do we have the good hand of God upon us? And when we have it, how do we hold on to it? Because not everybody succeeds in holding on to it even when they get it. Lord, would you bless us now as we look to your word in these few moments and help us, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Two things we could say about Nehemiah and about Ezra. the, the, The one thing is that they were men who knew God and who walked with God. They both were men. They were men who knew God and who walked with God and who knew his will. Ezra wasn't setting out, you know, to build, uh, rebuild the temple because he thought it was a good idea. It was a good idea. But it wasn't his good idea. It was God's good idea. 
God had said that he would remove the people for 70 years till the land had its Sabbaths. And when that time was over, God was going to rebuild it. And so it was God's idea to do it. Ezra was simply a man that was available for God to use. Right? So the first point we, we think about when we think about this man is he was a man that was available for God to use. He wasn't actually making it happen. Ezra would have, Ezra would have, if we invited Ezra to a leadership conference to teach us leadership, he would say, the good hand of my God is upon me. It was all God. It wasn't me. If we invited Nehemiah to give us his principles of leadership, he would say, the good hand of my God is upon me. God did it, not me. And you and I need to understand that for us, to see things achieved in our lives, it's about that relationship with him. It's about that walking with him. It's about that knowing his will and doing his will. Now, we're willful creatures, aren't we? We all want to do our own thing. Every one of us. Every one of us wants to do our own thing. Every, every one of us has good ideas. I mean, I have so many good ideas. It's just incredible. But the problem is a lot of my good ideas are not God's ideas. They're just my ideas. And... You know, I've learned the hard way that it's probably best to leave those ideas all on their own and not go near them because they don't work very well. But when the good hand of God is upon something, it's amazing how it works. God's work, God's timing, God's plan, it's amazing how it works. So Ezra and Nehemiah were men that sought the Lord and knew his will. You and I can do that too. You and I can have the good hand of God upon us. God has put you on this planet, not just to exist, not just to earn a living, not just to hang in there faithful to the end. God has put you on this planet for a purpose. I don't know what the purpose is, but he's got a purpose. But God has a plan for your life. You you are not an non-entity as far as God is concerned. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And if you will give yourself to God's plan and purpose over your plan and purpose, you can enjoy the good hand of God upon your life. Second thing is this, and it's very simple. You need to humbly recognize it's the good hand of God upon your life. The Bible tells us some things about God. One thing it tells us five times in the Pentateuch, and it tells us several times after that as well. It says God's a jealous God. And the other thing about God is God's never ashamed to tell, tell us about himself. I, you know, um, I would never stay up and say, well, I am, I am a jealous man. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't do that. That, that. that would make me look really bad. I wouldn't do it. God doesn't care. God says he's a jealous God. And what does he mean when he says he's a jealous God? He says, I will not share my glory with another. I will not share my glory with another. What does he mean by that? He means, listen, don't try and take God's glory. Never. It's the most dangerous thing in the whole world that you can do is to take the glory that belongs to God. See, the good hand of God was upon Ezra's life. Would it be so easy for Ezra to say, yeah, I'm the man. I'm sure people said, Ezra, you're amazing. You rebuilt the temple from from nothing. You know, you're such a godly man. You're such a wonderful man. It would have been easy for him to take the glory. But if he had taken the glory, he would have gone from being somebody with the good hand of God on him to being somebody with the hand of God against him. And that happens. 
People go from having the good hand of God on them to having the hand of God against them. And you know what? I think more often than not, it's over pride and it's over the glory of God. See, Ezra and Nehemiah had to realize it was God, it wasn't them. They weren't perfect men. They weren't men that had it all together. They were just men with the good hand of God upon them. And they needed to recognize that, and they needed to continue to keep that in mind. It's God, not me. And and sometimes we can mouth those words but feel something else. Sometimes we can say, yeah, it's all God. But the reality is we're kind of taking the glory to ourselves. But honestly, let me tell you, the most dangerous thing you or I can do is take the glory that belongs to God to ourselves. Because God says he's a jealous God. He won't share his glory with another. If God did it, he wants it to be known that he did it, and he wants the glory for it. God, God gives grace to the humble. He puts the good hand upon them. But he stands against the proud. He resists the proud. So we need to understand that, that first of all, we need to know it's God's plan, not ours. And then we need to remember the glory belongs to God. Now let me give you, I've given you two examples of people that obviously knew it, got it, and kept it. Let me give you two examples quickly of people that had it, forgot it, and lost it. King Asa. King Asa has a... As king of Israel, uh, king of Judah, and um, things are going well, things are, things are good. And then all of a sudden, uh, he has a vast army come against him, and there is no way that he can handle this army. No possible way that he can handle this army. And so you know what he does? He does what all of us should do all the time. He relies on God. And he says, Lord, you're God. You, you rule in the heavens. It's, it's no bother to you to defeat this army, whether with many or with few. Lord, we're in your hands. And you know what God does? God responds. And God smashes the army. Just almost wipes them out. Now, you know what happens after that? A little while later, when he's more seasoned as a king, and he's, he's been, been around the block a few times, and he's learned how to do a thing or two, and um, another army that he can't handle comes against him. But something's changed for him by now. And you know what he does? He sends to the king of Egypt for help. And it kind of works, because his enemy gets defeated. But you know what God says to him? Asa was just a test. I wanted to see after all these years if you would trust me like you did in the beginning. Now you're too big for your boots. And you trusted yourself. And you lose. And he says this in 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9. And it's, it's about Asa. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. All right, so, Asa, listen, you trusted me the first time and I blessed you, I came through for you. And then I gave you some peace. I gave you some some peace, I gave you some Blessing, I gave you a good time, and then I just tested you again. 
And although you won, Asa, you lose because you didn't trust me. And now you're going to have trouble from here on out. So this is a man that had the good hand of God upon his life and lost it because he depended upon something other than God. Can you and I do that? Of course we can. We can do that. We can have the good hand of God upon us. We can know his blessing individually. We can know his blessing as a church. And we can stop trusting in him and start trusting in other things. And you know what? We'll lose it. We get too big for our boots. You know, life gets 38 years old. and <clears throat> We're not in the days when it was absolutely imperative that we scraped by from day to day and that we succeeded in paying the, uh, the mortgage and succeeded in keeping the papers off our backs and all the rest. We're not in that day. It's kind of, we're in a comfortable place now as a church. It'd be very easy to drop the ball. It'd be very easy to come to the place where we think we're it. We're not. We need him every day. You need him every day. You're going to face problems and crises in your life and you are going to need him. Not the bank, not the government. You're going to need him. He wants you to trust him, to depend upon him. You see, you can't have the good hand of God upon your life if you're trusting in something else. He won't play second fiddle. He's just not like that. He just won't do it. He, he, he won't come in and back up your plan after the fact. He has to be the plan. He wants you to depend upon him. He wants you to look to him. One other character, <clears throat> Lot. Did you know that Lot was a righteous man? The Bible tells us that. Um, <clears throat> in, Peter tells us about him that, 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 that he, was a, he was a righteous man. He was a good man. But, but Lot's story was interesting. Uncle Abraham took Lot with him from Ur of the Chaldees. And what happened for Abraham and Lot was just prosperity. They were nomads. They were going around from place to place. But God's good hand was upon them, and they were blessed, and everything is going well, and everything is moving forward, and their, their, their cattle grow so, uh, their cattle and their sheep and their herds grow so big that their, their, their herdsmen are kind of fighting. And um, so Abraham says, you know what we should do? We should split up. Now, you know what Lot should have said? Lot should have said, no way. I am staying with you, Uncle Abraham, because that good hand of God is upon you, and I want it. But Lot was wealthy now. He had a lot. And he thought, you know what? I can make it on my own. I can, I, I, I can go it alone. And so <clears throat> they divide up the herds. And Abraham says, Lot, you, you choose the land. And so Lot doesn't defer to Uncle Abraham. He just chooses the best for himself. And, and he goes, isn't it? Sure thing. He's got huge herds. You know, he's got, <clears throat> he's got the best of the land uh, in front of him. Can't lose. But he does. Because the good hand of God is not upon him anymore. And though he has everything that made for success, because the good hand of God is not upon him, he fails miserably. He fails so miserably. It's just, I mean, it's a tragedy. I mean a tragedy, and not many things are tragedies. But it's a tra he loses everything. He loses his wife. 
He loses his kids, some of his kids, and he ends up in a cave committing incest with his two daughters. This was a man that, that walked with Abraham. This was a man that had the good hand of God upon him. But he thought he could go it alone. He thought he could make it happen for himself. He thought he was the man. Now look, Ezra didn't do it. Nehemiah didn't do it. Asa didn't do it the first time. Abraham didn't do it. It was the good hand of God that did it. If you want to covet something in this life, covet the good hand of God upon your life. Covet the blessing of God touching your life. That's the most important thing of all. Let me read you the verse from Chronicles again. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. What does it mean to have a heart that's perfect towards him? You and I are not perfect, and this side of heaven we're not going to be perfect. What does it mean to have a heart that's perfect? In the context, it means simply this. A heart that's trusting in him. A heart that's depending on him. Now, I can't be perfect, and I know I can't, but you know what I can trust? I can depend. And the good hand of the Lord is on them who trust in him. What are you trusting in today? Was there a time when, listen, things were desperate? And you were desperately needy? And you had no option but to trust in God, so you did. And it was amazing what he did. But, but now, it's a better day. Things are going a bit better. You, you don't need him in the same way as you used to, so you're not trusting him in anymore. You end up trusting in you. You end up trusting in others. You end up taking a little bit of glory for yourself and thinking, I can do it. Oh, listen, turn back. Because we need the good hand of God upon us. That's what counts. That's what matters. It's not you, your ability, your power. It's God and his good hand upon you that counts. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this day. Thank you for this great day that we can remember, Lord, the years and the blessings that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for your good hand upon LifeGate Bible Baptist Church. Now, Lord, we recognize it as being your good hand and nothing else that's done all that we see and all that has happened. Lord, help us to remain trusting in you and depending upon you. And Lord, we trust to see even greater things in the future. And Lord, we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, turn your eyes upon Jesus.